10 o'clock hour of Wildey and Tausch begins now. And it begins with a journalism seminar directed by our cousin sub of the day. Cousin subs, we believe in better. And the reigning Wisconsin sports writer of the year. Eric name. Eric, the floor is yours. I have questions. You've got questions, we've got answers. Didn't they used to say that about like Radio Shack? Something like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess I knew going into this show we were gonna I know you guys appear to maybe have some rules about not talking about him, but it did seem like we were going to talk about Aaron Rodgers on this show. Yeah, we're uh, we're, we're not we're not we're not able to just pretend that it doesn't exist. So that's a very good segue for me. I, I'm genuinely curious. You've mentioned it in the first hour of the show. You've talked about different reports from different people. I, I'm genuinely curious. How do you go about? trying to cover Aaron Rodgers at this point. Like, both of us in our careers have covered MVP-level players. Uh, at this moment, I know that if I need to talk to Giannis at some point, he is going to play a game, and I can tell him that I need to talk to him about something, and we can have a conversation. Uh-huh. I'm going to have post-game interviews where he is very transparent about how he feels, and he's going to talk about different things. For you, I believe that is largely how Aaron used to treat things. And now he goes on the Pat McAfee show where he doesn't really have to answer any questions that make him uncomfortable. Um, He doesn't have to answer anything, really. He just gets to talk and McAfee will take him through whatever conversation. And then he says stuff like, you know, these guys might report stuff about me, but they don't know a bleeping thing about me or anything like that they don't have sources they don't have any of this and i largely believe that to be true i largely believe it that he has eradicated whatever people around him that potentially used to know something about him and now just has a new set of people and those people don't talk to you they don't talk to adam schefter they don't talk to anyone they they just talk to aaron and that's it so he can be very insulated. So, genuinely, how do you go about trying to cover this? Because you can't ignore all the things that he says, but also, like, so yesterday, Giannis bought into part of Nashville SC. Right. Uh, an MLS team. We wrote a story about it at The Athletic. I contributed to it in the smallest little portion, and that was it. Largely, I, I don't really cover Giannis's investments. That's not something that I spend a lot of my time on. So I make an editorial choice. That, that is something I have decided to do. So I'm, I'm genuinely curious at this point with Aaron Rodgers, how do you try to cover him? So it has evolved in the 18-plus years that I have covered him. That's um, a long time, by the way. Yeah, it's a really long time, and it's really different now. Um, You know, those who listen to the show regularly know, and this is not a humble brag, I I do have his number, right? He he made the comment on McAfee, you know, Adam Schefter doesn't have my number, Ian Rappaport doesn't have my number. I do. Uh, I don't use, I used to use it very frequently. Uh, We would, we, we corresponded quite a bit. 
in recent years, for a myriad of reasons, that correspondence has not been as frequent. However, among the things that I would like to correspond with him with about are things related to this. And some of my uh, miss, uh, epistles, uh, missives, have been return, responded to. Others have not. Uh, he doesn't want to talk on the record about any of this process that's going on. Uh, he still has maintained that he has not decided whether he's going to play next year or not. Right? Um, I didn't know when the darkness retreat was occurring, so there was a very wide period where I did not correspo- try to correspond with him at all. Sure. I did not want to be one of like you know six thousand text messages that he had to wade through when he emerged from Southern Oregon. Sure. That said, um, you know, having gone through the Favre watch annually, and I've mentioned this before, I went down to the Super Bowl in Houston after the fourth of twenty-six playoff elimination, um, and Tom Silverstein and I got Brett Favre uh, in like a stairway after he was done accepting the Snickers Hungriest Player Award, uh, which, yes, that was a real award, and Snickers must have paid him handsomely to get him to come over to Houston to accept it in person. But at that point, he still hadn't announced whether he was going to play. And he also, by the way, had not talked after the 4th of 26 loss. So that was part of the process during that. But if you remember, and I know you were just a young fella, playing Division II basketball. He had his own Pat McAfee, too. His name was Al Jones of the Biloxi Sun-Herald. And while I certainly have not enjoyed the times when people have criticized me for my coverage of Rodgers, which I, I don't believe that I gave him unfettered, whatever you say, Aaron, coverage or access or... Never pushed back on him. I just think that's erroneous. I was not the toady that some accused me of being. Um, sure. I did have more access to him than others. And, you know, it's it's pretty hard to be really super critical of a guy who plays at the level he has played at for most of his career. Now, last season, he deserved criticism, and he got it from me and others. But right. one nice thing about past years is that, A, he didn't contemplate retirement, and, B, he was accessible. Now, he's a little bit Brett Farvey, except Al Jones has been replaced by McAfee and Aubrey Marcus, mm-hmm. and we still don't know what he's going to do. So I learned some lessons from that, and again, I think the biggest lesson is everyone you talk to most likely has an agenda, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Goody, whether it's... Um, I mean, let's be honest. I don't know who Goody allegedly vented to about his frustrations with Rodgers. But uh, hypothetically, let's say it's someone who worked for the Packers previously and now works for another team, which I think is a pretty reasonable hypothetical. And maybe it's someone who, while they're on decent teams with Goody, decent terms with Goody, maybe they're still pissed at the organization. Right. One good way to create drama and uncomfortability in an organization that you're no longer working for is to tell a reporter that Goody's pissed off about how frustrating Aaron Rodgers is and how sick of him he is and, you know, kind of drop that, uh, what, 
not a Woj bomb, but that um, hand grenade into the conversation about that team and kind of watch how it impacts them, right? So everyone's got an agenda. I personally Mm -hmm. have just tried to take the approach of, all right, here's what's being said. Here's what's been reported by other outlets. Here's what Rogers said to Aubrey Marcus. Here's what Goody said. And and I, I really do try, and I think this is really important, to try and cover it as down the middle as you can. Because it goes back to, if you're rooting for an outcome so the column that you wrote is proven correct, that puts you in a spot where it makes it much harder to do your job correctly. And I, and I, I want to say this. You know, I know... Our friend Rob Domovsky was put in some tough spots in previous years where he had to give, you know, percentage chance of Rodgers coming back. And that sure. was certainly based on conversations he had with, I, I guarantee you, one of the people that he talked to had to have been Rodgers' agent or someone who was in the inner circle. Because sure. Rob is too responsible to just willy nilly throw out a number. Um, but Rob is really good at what he does. And he is ethical, and he does the right thing. And so when you are put in the position that he and others on ESPN are put in, that makes it hard. I don't have to do that. I'm lucky, right? Tausch can complain all he wants about me hedging. But the bottom line is I don't have to be outlandish and say stuff. If it comes out organically, fine. But to me, this has become, in the last couple of years, you have to stake your claim, and then you have to root for that to occur. Now, when I said a couple of years ago that I thought Aaron Rodgers, in the end, going into the 21 season, after winning his first MVP and having his offseason of discontent, would eventually cave and end up as a Packer, with Goody flat out saying we're not trading him, I just said that because that's what I believed. Right. I didn't root for that to be the outcome. Hey, whatever happens, happens. Tausch's argument the other day was that this feels different. I don't think he's wrong. That doesn't mean the outcome's going to be different, though. They may want something different as an organization. I'm still not sure that that's what the end game will be. So to answer your question in a very long-winded way, you just try to do the best you can, and you wait it out until we get a resolution. I would like to point out, and I went through this in a story in the State Journal the other day, there was a year where Brett Favre didn't decide until f- April 25th. Right. God help us all if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So one other question I would just ask is um, I don't totally know how the NFL works. I've never covered it. Um, but my understanding is Combine Week is a week for – many people around the NFL to go to Indianapolis, eat dinners together, have drinks together, and have coffee in the morning together, and whatever it is. You you figure out the hole in the convention center uh, where there's a hallway where you can sneak around and do whatever. You find find a way. Um, And you have conversations with people. Do you feel like this week is going to be an accelerant for... Anything and everything. Because it feels like you can't get that many NFL people together in one place and not have someone say something to someone. And, and it won't be Aaron Rodgers. Like, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be at the Combine. But, like, there are a lot of people that deal with Aaron Rodgers as a coach, that deal with him as 
the general manager that deal with him as the third assistant to the general manager, the George Costanza of the staff. I don't know who it is, but there will be those people around, and it feels like this this week could be an accelerant for whatever may happen in the Aaron Rodgers saga. Yeah, and I try not to be a conspiracy theorist, unlike Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I do find myself wondering, is it as simple as Matt LaFleur said, oh, well, if Kyle Shanahan and uh, Sean McVay aren't going to the Combine, I don't have to go either. Those are my guys. That's a good idea. I'm going to mimic them. They've both been to Super Bowls. One of them's won one. Um, so that's a little different. But I don't know if he did that. I, my personal opinion is he just he, he didn't want to deal with the media. And he didn't feel like, and, and again, I don't know this, but I do wonder how much of his input is uh, accepted and considered in the player acquisition space. So maybe he just felt like you need to go. Aren't there? Yeah, the, 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 the breaking down of the silos was that was a nice talking <laughs> point, but that I I just don't believe that occurred. Um, so I, I don't think that there's some sort of nefarious. Oh, I don't want to have to talk about Aaron Rodgers and be asked if I want him back or not, so I'm not going to go. I think that was a fringe benefit for him to not go. Sure. Like in theory, he won't have to talk until the NFL meetings later this month in Arizona. But um, look, do I think an accelerant? I think there's going to be agents that are going to be talking. I think there's going to be coaches that are going to be talking to other coaches. Uh, I don't think Goody is going to let it slip again how frustrated he might be, given that that got into the public space. Um, I do know this, and I've seen it firsthand. Uh, Some coaches have a few too many Coors Lights while they're down there. And if you go through the right hotel in the right moment uh, with the right amount of beverage consumed, you get things said that wouldn't be said otherwise. Uh Uh-huh. So that would be one area where that could happen. I know there's certain restaurants where certain guys like to go. Sure. And if you play your cards right, you might be able to get more information that you can't you can't quote them but might help you in your process. Hey, is is someone who enjoys a, a Coors Light or two in Las Vegas in um various hotels during summer league and stays out till all hours of the night. I I understand those kind of conversations and how they might occur. So I get it. And and that's largely what I envision. Like if I'm looking for my equivalent on the NBA side, it's like, okay, at summer league, those conversations can happen. Uh, and, and it seems like those conversations happen in the same way at the combine every year in Indianapolis. So to put a bow on this, what would you do, given your incredible expertise, and oh, by the way, your Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year award, let's say the athletic calls you tomorrow and says, hey, we got bad news. Matt Schneidman has accepted an offer to become the senior columnist on the New York Giants and Jets. He could go home again to the New York area. Um, we need you to fill in on the Packers for a while. What would you do? How would you handle it? Like you, you just said, you have no, you have no. And one of my biggest pet peeves in this job is this idea that we don't criticize certain people because we don't want to lose access. Uh, look, Rogers talks at his locker every week. 
during the season. He he is not unprofessional. So even people he doesn't like, he answers their questions. He also answers difficult questions, whether it was on our version of a radio show for four years that I asked him, or at his locker, like, do you really think that telling Pat about all these mental errors that continue to happen is good leadership, and if so, why? Because I don't understand. He answered the question. Right. Did you guys get what you deserved? Ball don't lie. Answer the question. So... This idea that you can't ask him tough questions because you fear access. Same with Goody. Like, I wasn't in Indy. I'm not sure what I would have done differently. But this idea that you can't, you're risking access by asking tough questions. Mark Murphy can dislike me if he wants. That's fine. But right now, there is no real access. And that's the challenge. Well, yeah, so I mean, that would be the problem. If I got dropped in, I would absolutely be in Indy this week. And I would be trying to introduce myself to as many people as possible. Um, and, and you're right. Like, I, I not asking tough questions is just ridiculous. Like, I ask tough questions all the time. Fans might not like the answers that they get. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Boonholzer is uh, not incredibly transparent in his dealings with the media. So yeah, you might not like the answer that I get when I ask. You know, how many minutes is Chris Middleton going to play tonight? Or what is the plan for Chris Middleton? He might not lay that out, but he does get those questions. And when he makes an interesting substitution, I ask him about those. And all, all of those things happen. But yeah, the tough part is there is no access right now. And, and that's, that to me is where this really gets interesting, especially during the offseason, is because all you can do is try to talk to the people that know things. And in the offseason, the people that know things don't have to talk to you. And that's where I think this Aaron Rodgers stuff is is incredibly interesting because just from a coverage perspective, you're not going to have a weekly post-game interview. You're not going to have a weekly locker room session. You're not going to have those things. So all you can do is report what you know, and you're just not going to know a whole lot right now. And I think that's where... That's where this gets really interesting, and, and that's why I was genuinely curious how you try to approach this. All right, let's flip the script, and let's fill the Aaron Rodgers free space with some Bucks talk, which is your area of expertise. Uh, by the way, when there aren't people talking and there aren't opportunities to ask these questions, you know what fills the space? Opinion and guesswork, and that's part of the problem. Yep with what we're dealing with now. It won't be guesswork when we talk about the Bucks' 16-game winning streak with Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, Eric Name, our cousin sub of the day, in our Aaron Rodgers free zone. Next, it's Will Deeds Tausch. Enter the Aaron Rodgers free zone. So the John Wesleys of the world. And the rest of you that would love more Bucks talk. We don't go all Bucks all the time when we have JG or Eric Name in as our cousin subs of the day. But we would be derelict in our duty. With a team that has won 16 in a row and having the preeminent Bucks beat writer on the program, not to discuss this. 
16 straight. Number 17 potentially tomorrow night in prime time. Uh, I listened to the broadcast the other night of a win over the Orlando Magic. 16 is a lot of games in a row. <laughs> That's my insight for today. Uh, Eric, when you look at this team, we talked a little bit about it when we had you on as a guest a couple, maybe a week ago. But is this the team that you envisioned? And what does this stretch tell you about what this team is capable of, especially considering that they still haven't figured out exactly how much Chris Middleton is going to do, how much they want him to do, and with maybe a personnel decision coming up after they cleared a roster spot, moving on from one of my favorite names in basketball history. Sandra Mamu Kalashvili? Mamu Kalashvili, yes. It's a great name. Do you, do you spell that effectively? Yeah. As effectively as you do Antetokounmpo? Yeah, M-A-M-U-K-E-L-A-S-H-V-I-L-I. But you type that, you don't copy and paste that? No, of course not. Of course not, because you're the sports writer of the year. <laughs> sports writer of the year don't copy and paste, Jason. Well, I got news for you. I got a couple of those words, and I'm pretty sure I would have copied and pasted that for at least the first uh, few months that I covered him. In the modern oh, era. Yeah. Uh, Old Testament. I beat Abraham and New his journalism. story about the, New journalism doesn't do copy and paste. About the burning bush. All right, so what do you think about where this team is at, and are we seeing what this team is truly capable of? I mean, I think that's the, the fascinating thing is no. We aren't seeing what they're fully capable of. Chris Middleton is not playing 30 minutes a night. He's barely playing 25 minutes a night right. most nights. And and to me, as you look through it, that makes the 16-game win streak that much more impressive. Obviously, you know, you've had multiple games where Giannis has left early. You've had a game where Giannis hasn't played. You've had games where Chris hasn't played. You've ha- you've gotten through 16 games and won them all without having your full complement of players. And then in the middle of it, also integrating new players. It's, oh, Joe Ingles is out on this back-to-back, but he's back in. Oh, Jay Crowder, we just added him. All right, now we got to get him involved. And, oh, by the way, we still have other guys that need their minutes. And you... you You've seen them navigate through all of this and win 16 games. And so I, I do think it, there's like both parts of that. the answer to that question are true. Like, no, we haven't seen what they're fully capable of because I haven't seen a game where Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis Dedekumbo play 38 or more minutes together. And that, to me, is if you're talking about what a team is fully capable of, Okay, when they decide they really want to win a game and they play all their guys as much as they possibly can, what do they look like? We haven't seen that yet. We don't know what that will look like. And that is a big question that lingers over these final 20 games. The other night I put Mike Boonholzer through the ringer of, okay, you just told us that the last hurdle that Joe Ingles needed to clear to have him fully physically, medically cleared and ready to go was playing in a back-to-back. Which he did the other night. Right. Does that mean the same thing for Chris Middleton? Is that the same step? And 
Bud hemmed and hawed and said, no, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily something that we need to see, which is true. There are no back-to-backs in the postseason. So, so like, I do get that. But I think at some point you do want to see Chris Middleton ramp up because if no he's doubt. going from not a full minutes load to a playoff minutes load, which is in a series that you really need to win 40 to 44 minutes a night, you look at that game in... I mean, against the Nets, he was playing 45 minutes some nights. Uh, in that overtime game, he played 50 minutes uh, that they had against the Nets. Like, you need those guys that much. That's a pretty big jump up from playing 25 minutes in, in a game. So, to me, that's the biggest question that remains. Chris Middleton, his health, what does he look like? Because I think this Bucks team is the deepest I've covered at The Athletic, and I've been here for all five years of the Mike Boonholzer era. Uh, I mean, it's the deepest team I've ever covered, period, I guess. You can go back even further when I was covering the Bucks for this station uh, in this outlet. So, like, go back 10 years. This is the deepest team they've ever had. They have more options. They have more quality players that can play in big moments than any other team that they have had since I have been alive. But we haven't seen it yet. And that, to me, remains the big questions is what... How do you get to that spot? Because when you play the Boston Celtics, that rotation gets trimmed down to seven, and you need number one, number two, and number three to be able to play 40-plus minutes a night. And we haven't been able to see that yet. And granted, we might not see that in a regular season. The Bucks tend not to treat things like that during the regular season. But, man, it would be great to see them, those three a lot closer to that 40 number than to that 30 number, and that to me is the biggest question. So when you say that and trimming the rotation, at the same time you mentioned that you're integrating new players, not just Joe Ingles, who obviously was coming off of a knee injury but was signed in the offseason, but you have Jay Crowder on your roster now. Uh, I don't know what the plan is for Myers Leonard. Another 10-day contract. I don't know what goes beyond that for him after that one's done. But now you also have the idea of of Goran Dragic 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 yep there you go I don't have to copy and paste that one that one I know how to spell uh coming in for a visit today and maybe he's the one who takes Sandro's roster spot that was created so how much of the integration of these players and then the trimming of the rotation as you get closer to the playoffs how does that kind of work in concert? Because you're adding these players because you believe they can help you in the postseason, I would presume. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it gets really difficult. And it is going to require um, a selfless effort from everyone on the roster because they have, I mean, if you go through the depth chart in what they have, they probably are going to have 10 to 11 guys that could actually play in the playoffs. And that might mean 10 minutes on a given night, but that's still 10 playoff minutes. That's playing against the very best. That's not just rolling the ball out and praying that Giannis saves you. That is actually being able to play. And that's just not realistic for the playoffs because – Everyone's minutes gets bumped up. Like if you're good enough, those big three get bumped up. Uh, you, you probably find a fourth or fifth guy that gets bumped up as well, and you play those guys a lot. Now all of a sudden you have to figure out. You know, during the Celtics series last year, and they didn't have Chris Middleton, 
But during the Celtics series last year, it looked like Grayson Allen was a little bit overmatched. Right. Okay, Grayson Allen's minutes bumped down. All right. That means Jay Crowder hops in more. That means Joe Ingles hops in more. That means maybe Bobby Portis jumps in more. But also Bobby Portis saw his minutes decrease a little bit in that Celtics series and his effectiveness decrease a little bit in that Celtics series. So is there going to be a series like in 2021 where Bobby Portis gets taken out of the rotation? Right. Is there a series where he just straight up can't play, which is what they decided against the Nets? It's possible. Is there a series where Joe Ingles, for all he does offensively, is too slow-footed on defense and he can't play? It's possible. It could happen. Is there a series where Jay Crowder can't make a shot because he hasn't played in a long time and hasn't found his rhythm, and he tends to be a streaky shooter for his career? Mm-hmm. Is there a moment where Jay Crowder can't play? It's possible. Javon Carter, same thing. Could he just be too small in the playoffs and not play, and then you need to lean on Dragic? Sure. Could it go the opposite way? Dragic isn't good enough anymore. He's too old. He's in his 15th season, and he can't play. Yes, all these things could happen. And that's where the the roster that Mike Boonholzer has, there's always the gift and the curse of having a deep roster. That was just what Uh, I was going to ask. If if it's deep, that means you got a lot of dudes that can play. And that's awesome in the regular season, right? If you need to get a rest day for this guy or that guy, that's going to help you get through 82 and probably win a bunch of games during that 82. But... In the postseason, that's just not how NBA rotations work. You don't go 10 deep. It's easier to find rhythm for eight guys than it is for 10. It's easier to find eight guys that can defend than 10. And sometimes that might mean six or seven. You look at some of those games in the Nets series, five and seven, especially on the road in Brooklyn. Bucks essentially played six guys. Essentially six guys to cover those entire games. That means guys are going to get chopped out. And that's where... It really matters to have a bunch of veterans that that can handle things and hopefully veterans that value the end result more than exactly how they got there. And for a guy like Goran Dragic, that's never won. You'd hope that's the case. Wesley Matthews, that's never won a ring. You'd hope that's the case. Jay Crowder, that's never won a ring. You hope that's the case. Like All these guys, you hope that that's the case. Joe Ingles as well. That they can have that selflessness, but you don't know until that moment when you get there. You don't know if you're cool with it until you're sitting on the sidelines as the game closes out. And and that is where all this becomes difficult. We're going to play a game of Where's Wildy, but I want to ask one very pertinent question. And I'll ask it of Eric now, and he'll have the break to contemplate his answer. What is the one thing that if you want to see the Bucks win another title, their second in three years, what is the one thing that should worry you the most as a Bucks fan that stands between them and that title? Eric, you've got four and a half minutes to contemplate your answer. It's Wilde and Tausch. name I got your sports writer of the year award right here 
All right, tough guy. I posed a question to you. I want answers. I think I'm entitled to them. What's the one thing Bucks fans, more than anything else, should be concerned about standing between them and another NBA title? With this deep roster and the greatest player in the league and a big three that once Chris Middleton's workload resumes to where it had been previously, it's a pretty damn good big three. I really like watching Drew Holiday play, by the way. Can I just state that for the record? He's fun. What's the big thing that we should be worried about? Oh, sports writer of the year. The Bucks' ability to score points. And I know that that's probably going to sound a little bit ridiculous. As they just scored like 139 the, the other night. Beautiful. Thank you. That was that was the interjection I was looking for. Uh, the Bucks have scored a lot of points during this 16-game winning streak. Uh, I believe, as Giannis so eloquently told me the other night, uh, 125 per game during that streak. And as he also told me, the problem is for the Bucks is having an elite offense during the regular season is nothing new. This is something that they've done many years. Under Mike Budenholzer, they've almost always been a top 10 offense, typically closer to the top five in the league. This season, they are about 20th. I think after last night's slate of games, maybe 19th in offensive rating. Not points per game. Let, let's be clear. Points per okay. game and offensive rating are two different things. Points per Explain game. Explain people how what many that points, is. Points that you score. Offensive rating is points you score per 100 possessions. One of those is more important. And that is how many points you score per 100 possessions. Because... If you just run up and down the floor, as the Bucks have done during this, one of the big things that they've done is control the pace. They've played at a faster pace. If you watch the Bucks, you see Javon Carter shoot, pull up threes as he's coming down the floor. You see Grayson Allen do it, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, heck, even Giannis some nights. You see them shoot a lot of threes early in the clock. Those are the type of looks that teams in the playoffs don't let you get. Because... They can lock in on the scouting report. They can lock in on their effort. There's no, ah, uh, it's a Tuesday night in Milwaukee, three games in four days, whatever. I didn't get out to Brooke Lopez early enough. Ugh, fine, <laughs> whatever, it happens. <laughs> that doesn't happen in the playoffs. Everyone gets out to shooters quickly, and especially an elite defensive team like the Boston Celtics. They get out there. They are going to get those stops, and that is what has been the downfall of the Milwaukee Bucks in the postseason during the time with Mike Boonholzer. Bucks fans are always going to comment about the defense. They love complaining about Brooke Lopez being slow in drop coverage because, well, he's seven feet tall and 280 pounds, and it just looks bad. They keep making floaters, Jason, and sometimes the three-point shooters are open, and that should never happen. And that is not realistic. And also doesn't line up with the numbers. The Bucks have been the best defense in the league in three of the last four postseasons. Again, the best defense in the league in three of the last four postseasons. And uh, I understand that doesn't square up with the anecdotal evidence. That doesn't square up with Bucks fans watching Grant Williams shoot 18 three-pointers in Game 7 of Bucks Celtics last year. 
That doesn't square up with in your mind. It's the defense. They're slow. They don't switch. Bud can't adjust. All of these things. That Those are the complaints. But really the problem has been when they go up against an elite defense, they can't score. They can't score enough to keep up. And they've had these elite offenses, and then when they saw the Toronto Raptors in 19, when they saw the Miami Heat in 20, heck, even when they saw the... The Boston or the Brooklyn Nets right. in 2021, they couldn't score, and then last year against the Boston Celtics, they couldn't score. All four of those years, they weren't able to score in the series because the other team could switch, they could slow them down, whatever it is. If the Bucks are going to lose, it's because their offense is not going to be good enough, and that doesn't. I'm not trying to say they need to be the best offense in the league in the postseason. They won't. Their defense is going to be the best or one of the best in the postseason. They are a defensive team first with Mike Boonholzer. The key will be, can they score enough points? They don't have to score a million points. They don't have to score 125 every night. They just have to score more than the other team. Believe it or not, that's how you get wins. All you have to do is score more than the other team. The defense is going to hold them low. Can you score enough? That has been a problem over the years for the Bucks in the postseason, and that will be the reason why, if they do not win another championship, this season, that is be, that will be the reason why they do not. Okay, that was really well explained. I did kind of want to get after you and say, so I went to you for insight on the Bucks, and you said they need to score more points than their opponents. Uh, but you did a great job of explaining it, so it makes a lot of sense now. At the start, I was a little concerned. Not going to lie. Sure. No. You know, I'm happy. That That's the journey I like to bring listeners on as I communicate through this medium. I, I want to hook you and think, hey, you this guy's an idiot. <laughs> he's, a, he's a real oh. idiot. I don't like this guy. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe. When do we get someone uh, from the Brewers on and they say we got to score more runs than the opponent? And that's how we win uh, baseball games. Uh, I mean, it's I true. Know. I know some people that could give us that level of insight, frankly. Uh, So, that's our Bucks Minute, which was longer than one minute. It was two segments. Thank you for your service. We're going to play some Where's Wildy coming up. I can tell you where Wildy was yesterday at about 5.30. Fleet Farm. Needed corn for the deer. Needed bird seed for the wild birds. Needed some bubbler drinks for Paula. Got them all at Fleet Farm. And I used a $5 reward for my Fleet Rewards. And I used my $5 off 50 coupon from the Gas Mart. Saving money left and right. And you can save even more right now with the Fleet Farm balloon pop event that is going on tomorrow. So you basically go and they're going to pop a balloon. You're going to find out how much of a percentage you may save on your purchase. And it could be 100%. That's right. It could be free. Again, Saturday, March 4th. That is tomorrow. Don't miss your chance to save up to 100% on your purchase. Just go to fleetfarm.com to find out more. Fleet Farm, proudly serving the Midwest since 1955. Where's Wildy is next. It's Wildy and Tausch. We'll hold off on Where's Wildy because that's time-consuming. We'll do that during the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, Something that is less time-consuming than it used to be, apparently, at least based on spring training, is a baseball game. Uh, I I think I'm in, Jason. All right, so tell me, I I have not 
had the pleasure to devote two hours and 11 minutes to a baseball game, which is a lot less than four hours and 13 minutes, which is sometimes the case for baseball. You are a fan of the accelerated baseball paradigm. Oh, yeah, baby. What have I met? So there's a pitch clock. Oh, yeah. What else is there? Batter's box clock? Oh, yeah. No, if you if if you mess around in that, on either side, if as a batter or a pitcher, if you mess around, they can just give you strikes. They can just say, that's a strike. It's a ball. Mike Hargrove just tried to figure out what has happened to the game he loved. It's incredible. It's so good. Yes, yeah, sure. So I'll tell you this. Uh, this time of year, when I go through a back-to-back, I know that the that the Bucks are going to have the day off after a back-to-back. So I got back to Milwaukee yesterday. Typically in these situations, spring training is on. I probably need a nap in the afternoon. All right, you know, I'll throw throw a baseball game on. It looks warm. It look I can hear the sounds, and maybe I'll fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep yesterday because things kept happening. Corbin Burns was out there whipping pitches in there every five seconds. It was incredible. He he pitched three innings and he was done in like 30, 30 minutes. It was awesome. It was so good. I'm all the way in on fast baseball. Like this, this is one of the things I enjoy doing in the summer. I enjoy making my way out to Amfam Field, having a few brews, getting a little tan, and watching some like with the Brewers because the offense hasn't been good. Um, Watching guys pitch. I'm watching Corbin Burns. Okay. I'm watching Brandon Woodruff. It's going to be fun. And now it moves even faster. I, I It will cut down on my beer drinking a little bit, which is, I, I think, something I'm just going to have to take along. Got to buy fine. two maybe right I speed away. Up my beer. Yep, get two maybe right I spe- away. speed up my beer drinking. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure, I'm gonna have to figure it out. But fast baseball, I'm in, man. They've got it figured out. That, like, there's no sitting around. There was, like Pitching Ninja is a guy on Twitter. He showed there was a Javi Baez... At bat, like Javi Baez pitching for the for the Cubs, I think in the World Series, maybe it was uh, the NLCS, something like that. And they finished a full inning off, three outs in the same time that it took them to throw one pitch in this playoff game. One pitch. He literally threw one pitch in the time that it did a whole three outs. It was amazing. I'm in, man. Now, wait a minute, though, because it's spring training. This is this seems uh-huh. like it's going to be like the NFL when new rules are implemented where preseason there's a big uproar sure. over oh, pass interference is getting called this way now. It's an extra overemphasis, and then when you get to the regular season and games count, it comes back, and then playoffs, it's like it doesn't even exist. I have a feeling so that's where we're going to go with baseball and the clocks. But the clocks are on the field. Like, there's going to be a clock there. So if, on, and again, I understand the NFL enjoys their leeway, right? Like, they enjoy the leeway that they have of, oh, delay games, actually, um, the official needs to see the zeros, and then he needs to check his watch, and then he looks to see if the ball's been snapped, and then he calls it. I understand that they will find a way to get a little leeway here on those. On Is the that your seconds. derisive NFL voice? Is that what that was? I, I don't know. It was someone slowly uh, making a decision. And I mean, I slowly figured out. Oh, oh my gosh! How could I figure this out in less than a second? Um, 
the clock is on the it's going to be on the field. You're going to see it. So if you keep blowing by it and you keep not calling it, we're going to see it. And granted, um, Twitter and the ump reports have not done a whole lot for MLB umps over the years. Um, it hasn't really made them better. So maybe they'll just not care. But I think it's going to help. It's it's impossible to ignore. There's a clock on the field. All right. I, as someone who will occasionally put on a baseball game because he just wants to relax and get some other stuff done, not because he wants to be hanging on every pitch, until the postseason. I will admit I like postseason NBA basketball and I like postseason baseball. Uh, there is a different – there's just so many games in their respective regular seasons. It is hard for me to truly embrace either of those, especially someone who's covered the NFL for almost his entire career, where there's only 17 games. That's it. So mm-hmm. one game a week, maybe two if you have to play on Thursday night. Uh, but I am intrigued enough that I am going to check out a spring training game over the weekend on television somewhere just to see what all this fuss is all about. Yeah, man, Spe- fast baseball. It's fast pass baseball. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, there's nothing fast about Wilde and Tausch, but when Eric Name is our cousin sub of the day, the hours do fly by, just like not being allowed to throw excessive uh, pickoff attempts over to first base, which is apparently another rule that they've instituted. Yeah. So, the 11 o'clock hour is already upon us, and it will include some Where's Wildy. So stick around. It starts in two minutes, the 11 o'clock hour of Wildy and Tausch.